This morning we, we focus on what it means to belong exclusively to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and for God to be the only one to whom we belong. And our call to worship comes from Psalm 1 that speaks of that and it begins with the word happy in this translation. Some say blessed, but the actual Hebrew word that would have been used there was ashar, which means to be on the right track. Think about it that way. Happy, blessed, but most specifically, on the right track are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is on the law of the Lord and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season and their leaves do not wither. In all they do, they prosper. May we be on that right track as we come to worship God today. May we be happy and blessed as we meditate on God's word and make it our life's passion. Let those who are able stand, but now come together. Let us all worship the living God. My friends, here's the good news. In our need to belong only to God, John writes in his first epistle, My little children, he calls us his little children, because we are God's little children. We'll always be his little kids. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice, the substitution, the propitiation for all of our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. My friends, believe the good news of the gospel. For our sinful condition, God came in person and gave himself up in Jesus Christ to be that once and for all sacrifice that makes us whole, redeems us, and brings us into his presence. Tell it to the world. Because of the shed blood and the risen life of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven and redeemed. Amen. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Father, you are the first word. You are the last word. You're the only word that matters. And Holy Spirit, how we do praise you that you're present in this place right now. That you have come to every heart here and drawn every one of us to this place for this time. To give you praise. To receive your grace and glory. To be transformed by the renewing of our hearts and minds. The power of your presence. Lord, how we do thank you for that. Because there are, there are times we get so caught up in this crazy, silly, chaotic life that we forget all about that. We don't stop and say, thank you, Father. Come, Lord Jesus. Fill me, Holy Spirit. But Lord, we say that now, and we want to say it again and again as we lift up a world that so needs to hear that. Lord, we know that. Even if this is the first time we've ever been in this place, we've known that.
That's why we were open to being here, because you called us, and we know that we need your grace. Lord, there there are many who are suffering from spiritual amnesia. They don't remember this. And darker still, some have never been told it. But Lord, they know it. They know they need you. And it is our role to go to them with your good news and draw them in at the direction of your Holy Spirit. You'll work on their hearts. Teach us to reach out with our hands, to be listening with our ears, to have our hearts willing to be broken for things that break your heart, to stand with those who are shattered, whether it be in prayer or in action, for they're both a part of your ministry. Lord, there, there are many who today are in Houston, and yeah, the Astros won the World Series, and that's great. But Lord, there are people whose houses are still gone. There are people whose, whose lives are shattered. They've lost loved ones. Same thing as in Las Vegas. Same thing in Sonoma. But Lord, also the same thing in places we don't even know about that didn't make the headlines. Somebody lost a child somewhere yesterday, Lord. Somebody lost a parent. Somebody's marriage dissolved yesterday. Somebody's child ran away from home yesterday. Lord Jesus, you know about every single one of those situations. It's why you came. It's why you died. And you've risen. And you've poured into us the power to speak into those dark and hurting places the love and the redeeming name that is above all names. And we pray that we would do that with courage and wisdom and grace and gentleness and we would forget about ourselves and simply remember you and rejoice in getting to be your servants and getting to be your church and getting to be your priests and prophets proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, bless your church far and wide. Bless it in those dark corner places. Lord, your church is exploding in the Middle East. More people are coming to Christ than are being born. How we praise you for that, and we pray for that ministry. Lord, unite us in this remembrance as we pray together and seek to live the prayer you taught us as we say together with one voice, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today we continue in Robert Munger's little booklet, My Heart, Christ's Home. And I hope if you haven't picked up a copy of that, just stop by the church office and get a copy because for two reasons. One, it's something you're going to want to ponder again and again. And two, there's someone you know that wants to know what it means to belong to Jesus Christ. And you can simply give them that little book. And every time you do, we will replace it. And I have people who who have come back to me 20 times over the years and come back for another little book, and and lives have been changed by it. Today, to focus upon what it means to belong 
only to Jesus Christ. In terms of our human sexuality and, and, and even beyond that, we turn to three different places in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 5. Listen to God's word. Verses 15 through 21. Drink water. Drink water. We live in the high desert. We get that, don't we? We can get dehydrated. Drink water, the Solomon says, from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for sharing with strangers. We'll touch on that. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. May her breasts satisfy you at all times. May you be intoxicated always by her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, by another woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For human ways are under the eyes of the Lord, and he examines all their paths. And then from Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and purple. For the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. And then from John again, he wrote Revelation, and then from his gospel, chapter 4, familiar words, the woman at the well. Jesus has encountered this Samaritan woman. And he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. She's at a very human, natural well. But those who drink water, drink of the water, I will give them. Those who drink of the water, I will give them, says the God of the universe, will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. And the woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right. You have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you say that the place 
where people must worship is Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take hold of our hearts, speak to our minds, and shape us through the reading and the hearing of this God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come now, we pray that your good news would come and find us each and all, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock And you are our Redeemer. All these things we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. I think sometimes, if not always, we are a little or a lot skittish about talking about human sexuality in the church. It's just not something we're real comfortable with. And the story's told about a, a pastor who was very aware of that, but he also knew that his church needed to be addressing that, and Dr. Munger did that in his little book, My Heart, Christ's Home. And so one morning, the the pastor said, look, let's talk about some things that are really important to us in the life of the church. He says, every time I say a word, I want you all to start singing the song that goes with it. And he said, grace. And of course, everybody started singing amazing grace, right? And then he said, cross. And everyone started singing, the old rugged cross. And then he said, sex. And like now, there was a little nervous twittering. (laughs) And finally, after a while, a widow of a certain age from the back of the church stood up and started singing, precious memories, how they linger. How they ever flood my soul. Okay, so now we can talk about sex. <laughs> See, what we've, what we've just heard here, in God's word, are, are both literal and metaphorical statements about how God calls us to be united to himself. And we have marriage a biblical model between a man and a woman. Let's be real, real clear about that because Scripture is very clear about that. To be a statement of the solitary connection that God intends for us to have with himself. And one day, as Jesus has pointed out, in heaven there will be no more marriage because there will be that one marriage. Us, God's bride, the church, married to Jesus Christ. That will be more than sufficient. The image of human sexuality and how God intends for it to be expressed are a call to us, all of us, regardless of age, place in life, to realize the power of belonging to God alone in every single circumstance. 
That's what God has done with this image of human sexuality. It is our powerful drive, and it is meant to be one that reminds us of its truest, most powerful statement in exclusivity. But we do not need to be married because not everyone here is or ever will be, perhaps. Nor does our temptation to be unfaithful to God need to be only sexual. In order for us to be instructed by the wisdom and the grace of these passages, because you see, this is only a metaphor. Well, I shouldn't say it's only a metaphor. It's literal, but it's also a metaphor that's a much bigger statement of how every one of our lives is to belong to God in every circumstance. So in the bedroom of my heart, Christ's home, Dr. Munger speaks of what Scripture describes as that place where God calls us to pure and unique relationship with himself above and before all others. God created us for intimacy with himself alone. Now we could say, well, I I could be intimate with a lot of people. We'll get into that. Only as it's filtered through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Before any gods, before any idols, because that is life. And to reject this is to walk away from the life that really is life. To say, well, I can, I can mess around. I can have this relationship or that relationship. That's not how we're created. It's not how we're wired. And we live in a culture that says, oh, yes, we are. Everyone's wired differently, and everyone can do whatever they want, and they will be frustrated. They will be frustrated. Because to do this is is to wander longingly, looking for a well, looking for a cistern, looking for a spring, looking for a relationship, looking for something that will satisfy us as well as God alone can, and it will not happen. Even for those who are married, even for those who are in a a married, monogamous, sexually pure relationship will not find what God alone can bring in terms of satisfaction. And God calls us away from this wandering, not to spoil our fun. I see, I think a lot of people miss, miss that. God does not call us to sexual exclusivity to spoil our fun or to frustrate us or to keep us from what we really want. God calls us to where we really need to be. God calls us to be with him and him alone. When we want to step outside of God's plan for solitary relationship with himself in any way, and here's where we see the metaphorical nature of this injunction and this call to hope. When we step away from this in any way, sexually, Ethically, morally, spiritually, we cut ourselves off from the very best that God intends for us. That's something the world doesn't understand. When we say, I've got to have this, we short-circuit our best. When Solomon, as he writes Proverbs, calls us to drink from our own cisterns, he is not calling us to be narrow or selfish. He says, don't let anybody else drink from this. He doesn't... He's not saying don't share your resources. Rather, he's defining for us how God's specific intent is for us to belong to him. When Solomon speaks of rejoicing in the wife of our youth, 
and the beauty thereof. He is speaking literally, but even more powerfully, he is calling us to our lives from the earliest days of realizing God's call to belong to him and the beauty and the power that grows from this unique faithfulness. It's as we grow into belonging to God that we start to realize, wow, wow, what a gift. God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. God wants more for us than we want for ourselves. Sexually, economically, spiritually, emotionally, but only as God's way is made to be our first and only way will we know that. And that's all God is saying to us. I'm not shaking my finger at you, says God. I'm calling you. Come here. Come here. Let me show you. God wants more for us. But what the world offers, what our sinful nature tends to default to, in any age, at any time in our lives, is intoxicating. It's a drug. Now, here's an interesting question. If we can be drugged by the temptations and the things of this world, would we want something other than what God wants for us? See, that's one of the problems with, uh, with drugs. It makes us want something other than what God wants. And sadly, human sexuality can become a drug. Money can become a drug. Power can become a drug. Social acclaim can become a drug. But here's the question. Why, why would somebody want something other than God's greatest desire for them? Why would somebody want other than, God's, for what, than what God wants for them? If, if God knows us and God loves us perfectly, perfectly, do we love ourselves perfectly? Quick question. No. Does God love us perfectly? Yes. Why? Because he created us. He knows us. Why would, why would we then go, I want what I want? I know, you, God, you, you think I'm pretty cool, or maybe not. But I know what I want. And I've got to have my way. Why would we want something other than what God wants for us? There are two simple reasons. One is because sin is blinding. Sin is blinding. The ways of this world are blinding and we do not see. It can make us unable to see the truth. And that is why a daily encounter of honestly submitting our longing to Jesus is essential. I want this, Lord. I know you do, Bruce. But you're not supposed to have it. One of the greatest threats to encountering Jesus and really knowing him, really knowing him deeply, is the list of things that distract us from where we really need to be. And I'm afraid that list is pretty lengthy a lot of things that distract us. It's not just human sexuality. And the second reason that we want something different from what God wants for us is that we fail to know what God wants for us. I mean, after all, 
Why do we care what somebody else wants for us if we know what we want for us? Hmm? There's where sin has blinded us. We can fail to know what God wants for us, and this happens for the first reason. The list of things we allow to come before even seeking what God wants for us. Now, how often does that happen? (laughs) I wish as a teenager I thought before I went out on a date, Lord, what do you want to have happen tonight? Because I know what I wanted to have happen. (laughs) See, we, we don't know what we need because we don't seek God in his word. We don't stop to ask God in prayer before reacting to our impulses or the ways of the world around us. Ooh, look at that. Look at that. Ooh. We don't let Jesus sort out our lives before diving into what feels like will be the perfect thing for us. And so Solomon asks a very powerful question. Again, in any language but that can be metaphorical, and literal when he asks, why should you be intoxicated, my son, my daughter, by another woman, another man, and embrace the bosom of this adulteress? Why would you be intoxicated and let yourself be drugged? You know, there, there are drugs that are being put into drinks. You know what I'm talking about? In bars that cause people to be so intoxicated that they allow horrible things to happen. But in other words, Solomon asks, why would you take hold of that which only wants the worst for you? Why would you take hold of that which only wants the worst for you? And the answer is because you're drugged. You're intoxicated by the things of this world. Now this can be really tough if we are not daily paying attention to the voice of God's Holy Spirit. In my heart, Christ's home, there is a picture on the man's dresser of his girlfriend. But there's not a picture of Jesus. I think we need one, if not literally, metaphorically. So subtly we can be led into welcoming that which will devastate what is most precious. What things do we substitute for God's will, for prayer, for worship, for Bible study, alone and with others? What do we allow to embrace us that takes us away from the embrace of God's own truth? Sentimentality, urges, feelings, comfort. God knows our hearts, and God knows our longings. God's the one who placed our truest needs in in our hearts. Jesus asked this question of why we would seek things that only harm our relationship with him when he told the woman at the well, uh, where's your husband? Could you go get your husband? He said effectively, show me your faithfulness. And the answer was, I don't have any. I don't have any husband. I don't have any faithfulness. I just do what feels good for the moment in the season. See, Jesus wants to enter the bedroom of our lives to take us to a place of deep and true intimacy. There's a lot that masquerades as intimacy, my friends. Friendships, sexual activity, but it's not. Jesus wants to take us to that place of true intimacy that the world cannot know or offer because they do not know him. 
When we know Jesus, anything less will pale by comparison. Jesus wants us to know him this way. In fact, he is wisdom. He is love and power. He is the solitary lover of our souls who makes, as I said, everything pale by comparison. But the problem is that we go with the comparison before we actually give Jesus Christ the opportunity to be the sole lover of us. I, I was reminded of this a, a few years ago by a fellow named Ed. Uh, uh, Kenny, I was in Palisade, Colorado, booming metropolis of Palisade. I think about 500 people live there. And I was stopped to get some gas on my motorcycle. And Palisade is famous for the world's greatest peaches. And if you haven't been there, you need to go. And I was talking to a friend named Ed, new friend, just had met him. And we're standing in front of the, the peach stand and we're eating peaches. And uh, he looked at my motorcycle and he said, you know, there's a fella here in town a couple years back. He was driving in 1937. He, he bought that 1937 Chevy brand new and he was still driving it. It was just a couple years ago. And the local Chevy dealer wanted that car and offered that man a brand new Corvette it, straight across. If he would give him the 37 Chevy, he would give him a brand new Corvette straight across. Really, I said? Yep, yep, said Ed. Dealer was amazed, too. Since the old Chevy, was, it was no gem. It was 1937, and it had shown it. It looked like it. But the man said, you know what? I got this car the same year I married my wife, and they both still work great, so I'm keeping them both. <laughs> Ed could tell a story. And true or not, the point is essential. Holding on to what God has given us rather than trading for something new and fun does not make sense by the world standards. The world says that guy was an idiot for not trading for that Corvette, especially if it came with a blonde in the passenger seat. <laughs> but we aren't called to live by the world standards or economy. We are called to God's word, period. Why? Because God knows what we need, and God loves us, and God doesn't want us to be disappointed. By the way, used Corvettes have the worst resale value of about every car in, <laughs> on the market. Now, going into the bedroom of intimacy with Jesus Christ means learning to say no to lesser ways than his, and no to abandoning him for the things that we think will make us feel good at the expense of being with him and learning from him and his faithfulness. God calls us to intimacy with himself because he knows things about us that we do not know about ourselves. How many of you think you know everything you need to know about yourself? Good, I don't see any hands. But the power of evil, the evil one, the devil himself, knows these things about us too and tries to use them to pry us away from belonging exclusively to God. Now, here's a powerful example I read about this week, and it can be about all sorts of things that lure us away from intimacy with Jesus Christ. It, it, it's an article called, Why Do People Look at Pornography? But you could substitute pornography for all, any number of things that pull us away from Jesus Christ. Turns out, this is really interesting, turns out some statistics uh, from after the 2000 
14 Super Bowl indicate that a wound of vulnerability often drives the need to view porn. And I would say it could probably drive us to a lot of things that would break us and take us away from Jesus. But this study is about porn. Turns out that a mere 24 hours after the Seattle Seahawks crushed the Denver Broncos 43 to 8. Sorry, Mary, but you remember that one. A lot of you are Broncos fans. A mere 24 hours after the Seahawks beat the Broncos 43 to 8, one of the most lopsided victories in Super Bowl history, one of the world's biggest free porn websites released data about porn site visits. In the Denver area at the start of the game, porn use was 51% below national average. A good, clean town. 51% below national average. By the time the shellacking was complete, porn use in the Denver area was 10.8% above the national average. That's a 60% swing in just a few hours. Figures for, for Seattle, where uh, Seahawk fans were jubilant and doing old-fashioned things like hanging out with friends and laughing and talking and watching the replays were 17% below the national average. Okay, based on these startlingly different responses to the game, a British journalist concluded something that most porn strugglers probably already know. Most men and women turn to porn when they are not happy, but when they are most vulnerable. Okay, I took the time to tell you that because that's exactly what we need to be careful about. There are lots of times we are vulnerable and hurting And we want to turn to something other than God and God's grace and God's word and prayer to make us whole. And in fact, those things that we turn to make us less than whole. They damage us. They devastate us. It isn't just about porn, which is at an all-time high rate of viewing right now because of the Internet. But this is about the myriad ways evil draws even devoted followers away from Jesus. It is about what makes us vulnerable. We become weak when we become so engaged with the ways of the world that add up little by little that when something doesn't work out, we are as vulnerable as a house of cards if we are not relying upon God's word. Evil doesn't want us to realize this. And remember, this is not just about porn. We think we need to buy something. We need to own something. We need to have something. We have, need to have, have an experience of some kind. Evil wants us, thinks, wants us to think it is perfectly fine to find other outlets for our feelings, particularly when we're troubled, than seeking deeper intimacy with God. But in the end of every day, every chapter, and every life, Jesus says three words. Come to me. He says, I brought you to the dance, and I want you to come home with me. I love you. In John's telling vision of Revelation, the story of us all is played out, and we are called to the place of being wed to Jesus Christ, where the message is proclaimed to those who have endured in Jesus Christ and held on to him only, blessed, on the right track, happy, are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And my friends, I want you to know that you are invited. 
If you've never known that, you are invited. Your name is called out. This is not some cryptic, mystical, far-off call, although it does speak of the final chapter of things, but rather it is the call of today to every one of us to turn away from anything less than belonging exclusively to Jesus Christ and to give him whatever it is that is standing between us and that relationship. It is the call to bring our weariness, our sadness, our disappointment, our discouragement, our grief, our deepest desires to him and let him meet those needs. He will. It is the call to daily say no to things that only seek to turn us away from who he is and what he will give us. And here, right here at this table is a foretaste It is a call to know that today is the day to trade the distractions and the lesser things for the delight of being made whole in Jesus Christ day upon day upon day. May we understand this as never before because as supernaturally we are led to this table and partake of what he has given us. We are changed. May it strengthen us to turn everything over to Jesus Christ and make our hearts, his home. And as we do this, may we realize it is Jesus who is meeting us and saying, come to me, and making it possible for us to be loved lavishly, extravagantly, and exclusively by him. And may we tell it to the world with our very lives. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we we need you to come and look at what's on our nightstand. We need you to look at our computers. We need you to look inside our heads and our hearts where that laundry list of things that we too easily worship and bow down to are keeping us from simply belonging to you. And we thank you that you will not leave us alone, that your Holy Spirit calls us, woos us to you. Let it happen for your glory, we pray. Amen. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you. Beyond any words we could come up with, we thank you with our lives that you have given us what we need, not what we want. And we pray that anything that would try to stand between what we really need would be pushed aside by the glory of this banquet feast that we have received from you. That it would be pure grace and that by it we would be transformed to be light and salt and the message of your true love and satisfaction for this world to see and taste and feel and experience. And we pray this would all happen for your glory because we've been here today and because we are with you every day because you are there for us. In your precious name we pray, amen. Now remember, we're going to go to a lot of different places in our lives. We're going to be in the recreation room, the bedroom, the workroom, the living room. But no matter where we go, we go nowhere by accident because that is where Jesus Christ is leading us. Where we are He has a purpose in our being there. Where we find ourselves right now, Jesus Christ has planned it. 
because Jesus Christ indwells us. He has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and go, therefore, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every single step of the way. Amen.